Today's scripture reading is taken from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 25. If you have your Bibles, or you, you can look on the screen, you can follow along. This is from the New International Version. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of the Christ, of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so that your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. May God bless the reading of his word. So two weeks... Two weeks ago, two Sundays ago, uh, Pastor Paul uh, started us on this series in First Peter, and we are continuing that and will for pretty much up to uh, near the Advent season. So we'll be plugging away through this New Testament letter written by the Apostle Peter, who was one of the 12 chosen disciples of the Lord Jesus. Remember that time when he, he picked those 12 guys? Well, Peter was one of them. And he was one of the uh, three disciples that were closest to Jesus, uh, Peter, James, and John. They were like in his inner circle, his close buddies. And just to remind us, Peter, James, and John were there when Jesus, uh, alone with Jesus, when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. It was just Peter, James, and John that he allowed to come into that uh, room when he did that miracle. And then they were also alone with Jesus on the top of a mountain when Jesus was transfigured uh, before them. In Mark chapter 9, so Peter was very close to Jesus when Jesus was alive in the flesh, living, and then before he was crucified and was raised again. Uh, before we jump into the Word, let me pray for us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Way back, about 35 years ago, so how many of you were alive at that time, 35 years ago? Okay, good amount, almost 50% of us, right? Um, it was 1988. I lived in Massachusetts, and I left Massachusetts to go live in Quito, Ecuador for two months. Now, I didn't bring everything I owned with me. I just brought what I needed for that period of time, for two months. I was going there on a mission uh, with HCJB, it's a shortwave radio station, and I was an engineering student, so I was going to work with the missionary engineers there. But this was the first time in my life 
that as a white American man that I experienced being a minority. Uh, I was not familiar with the culture. Uh, I couldn't speak the language very well. If I was very minimal in my Spanish. Um, I didn't understand the way they did things. And so I, I felt very much like a foreigner there in Quito, Ecuador. And after those two months, I understood a little bit more of the language and a little bit more of the culture, but I very much was a foreigner, and I felt like a foreigner. And I remember during the difficult times, especially this one time, um, I got sick and, uh, in, in the stomach, and you can imagine what else I had problems with. And so during that time, I was very sick, and I remember I just... I couldn't wait to go home to Massachusetts, to my home, my comfortable bed, and my family that I knew because I was feeling miserable. But I, I knew that my time in Ecuador was, had this point where I was going to go back. I wasn't going to be here forever. So I set my hope on that. And just like I was in Ecuador and a foreigner in that country for that amount of time, the followers of Jesus, no matter where we live, are to live as foreigners here in this world because this is not our home. We are not to be uh, settled and grow roots here because we know we are, we are of a different country, the kingdom of God. And 1 Peter, this letter, the very first verse of this letter in chapter 1 starts with this theme and carries this theme of being foreigners, exiles, as it puts in this verse. And let's, let's look at that. Oh, yeah, there's where Ecuador is, by the way, if you didn't know. And here's the first one. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, two gods elect, exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. So in one sense, this is what the apostle Peter is trying to convey in this letter to the Christians that are in Asia Minor at that point, both Jews and Gentiles. So the church is mixed of those two groups of people. Um, they were to see themselves as foreigners, exiles. They were, actually, they were living in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was covered that area of the world, but they had become followers of Jesus, which meant then now they were citizens of a different empire. You know, the empire has come back. You know, uh, God's kingdom is now where they are citizens. And this citizenship was why they were suffering, why they were now suffering politically, uh, personally, socially, uh, they were suffering because of their alignment as citizens of the kingdom of God, of being followers of Jesus. And they were seen as exiles and foreigners on the earth by others in that sense. And this was because they were misunderstood. They were suspected of, for example, belonging to these strange, mysterious cult that would uh, eat people's flesh and drink their blood, the blood of their victims, you know, you see where that comes from? They were misunderstood. They, were, they thought they had these massive orgy gatherings, where these sexual orgies, where they, because they had these what they called love feasts or agape meals like we have now twice a month, by the way. First and third week, we're going to be having lunch downstairs, right? We'll have agape meals, but we're not having sexual orgies, right? But they were misunderstood. They were rejected by society. They were like, these are weirdos. These are foreigners, we're, they're just different from us. You know, they, they were very much misunderstood. And despite all this, Peter counsels them in our letter, hang in there, brothers and sisters. 
Hang in there. Earth is not your home. You're just passing through. You're just a foreigner here in this world. Now, to encourage them, the apostle gave them instructions. In our text today, in our text, in how to live as foreigners in the midst of this situation that they're living in, this suffering, this turmoil. And so let's take a look at our text in 1 Peter, our verses today, and see what the Lord of God has for us as living as foreigners. Not only for them, but for us as well. Though the turmoil we face is probably quite different than they did in a lot of ways. So to live in this world as foreigners, we see in these first few verses, 13 through 16, this command to become holy, to become holy. The apostle begins today's text with this word, therefore. And as my, a good friend of mine reminded me, it's easy to remember that this word, therefore, is there for a reason. Ha, <laughs> get it? It just basically connects what was just said to what is about to come. So it's, it's a connective word. And what has been shared up to this point is a reminder to the followers of Jesus that, especially those followers in Asia Minor, if you remember in the present-day Turkey, that they've been born again, that they have this inheritance that is not going to pass away, it's imperishable, and that their Savior Jesus is coming back. He's returning. So it's this hopeful living hope. And so let's read these verses again. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. The word of the Lord there. The command here we see in verse 15, be holy in all you do. The word holy means simply set apart, different, marked off, but specifically for a sacred purpose, in a sense for God's purpose. Because he is the holy other. There is nobody like God. Nobody even similar to God. Ah, well, maybe there is. That's, we were created in his image. So we are, in a sense, in the image of God. But Peter gives us two ways that we can become holy uh, in this. And then one way is positive, one way is negative. Well, the negative is that we're not to conform to the evil desires that we once had when we were living in ignorance, before we committed our faith in, to have faith in Christ Jesus as Lord. And that may mean like, Practically at school or work, when an inappropriate joke is being said, that we don't participate in that. Maybe we even walk away from it. We just separate ourselves from it. Um, or if, if we're part, or a conversation starts happening and someone is being slandered or torn down, complained about, we don't participate in that because our words are to build up, not to tear down. We just separate ourselves from that. We are holy by obeying God's commands to us and therefore living in a way that is separate or different from the world. And when we do this, we do not conform to what the world and their way is. So that's, that's the negative way, is not to conform or not to continue in our evil desires that we had before. The positive way Peter mentions is the Lord God himself is holy. And so we are to be holy as well. So Jesus is our example 
of who, what it is and what it means to be holy. He is holy. He is separate. And we are not only declared holy through faith in Jesus, but we become holy as well as we put our faith in Christ and obey his teaching every step that we take. Every act of obedience is another chance for us to say, I trust you, Lord, as Lord, and I'm going to follow you. So it's in a sense, we have been declared holy and we are becoming holy as well as we obey the example and teachings of Jesus. I love how D.L. Moody, who's an American evangelist, once put it this way. He said, a holy life will make the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns. They just shine. In a sense, we just, in a sense, we stand out, but we're different. We're separate from the world when we are becoming holy. So the apostle Peter gives three characteristics of how this looks, in a sense, how this comes about, uh, becoming holy as foreigners here in the world. The first is right in verse 13, with minds that are alert. Um, Just a plug for our life groups. Uh, If you haven't, if you're not part of a life group, sign up for one, because we actually, as life groups, focus on the text that either Pastor Paul or I will preach the week before. So, when we focused on this, uh, there was some versions that I think said, gird your loins, which is, you know, in today's culture, we're like, what? <laughs> you know, but this is like, with minds that are alert. Um, in, the, in the Middle East culture, men of that time wore like robes, we would call them, down to almost their ankles. So if they wanted to be prepared for action, in a sense, to gird their loins, they would actually take their robes and they would tuck it in their belts, so then the robe would become like knee height or a little above the knees. So then they could run and move quickly. Because if you ever tried running in a robe that is down at your ankles, it's not going to work too well. You're going to trip up. So they, they wanted to move quickly. They lifted their robes and they tucked them into their belt or they would gird their loins, you know, in the sense, prepare for action. And this is the picture that Peter has in mind here, that he advised the followers of Jesus to be ready, to be alert, to be ready for action, not to be like dull. You know, like, not ready. And so, and this is the same image uh, as the Jews were told by Moses when they were in Egypt and that last plague, the 10th one, of the, when the angel of death was going to come through and kill all the firstborn. And they were told they were to gird their loins, in a sense, to be ready when they ate the Passover meal of the lamb that they had sacrificed and put the blood over their door. So they were told that they were to tuck in the cloak of their belts, uh, in their belts, put on their sandals, eat the feast with a staff in hand, in a sense, ready to move at the moment that after this plague happened and the Egyptians said, get out of here, that they could just go. They didn't have to pack up and leave and get ready to go. So just as the Jews in Egypt were ready to move at a moment's notice, we are encouraged to, as we become holy to be alert, to be ready, prepared for action. The second characteristic is following right after that, fully sober. Fully sober means to be calm, steady, controlled, uh, to weigh matters. And in the original Greek language, which the New Testament was written in, it just means not to be drunk, <laughs> right? So that word, are you sober? You know, it just means we're free of the influence of alcohol, which dulls our mind and our ability to make good decisions when we are affected by alcohol or any kind of drug. Now, there are a lot of things that dull our minds other than alcohol and drugs when we think about it in life. Right? Can, can you think of a few types of 
You know, I, I read a book in seminary uh, called Entertaining Ourselves to Death um, by Neil Postman. It's a great book, by the way. Uh, but it's really how entertainment dulls the mind of the American people. And this was written back in, I think, the late 60s, early 70s. So that was a long time ago. But when I was a kid, for example, I loved Saturday mornings because Saturday mornings had cartoons for all morning. So I would get up early, and I'd just pop on that TV, and I would sit there for like five hours, you know, 7 to 12. Because at 12 noon, there was Creature Double Feature, which was then two movies in a row about these weird stuff that I loved to watch. You know, it was like Godzilla or Frankenstein or the mummy or the werewolf or Dracula or whatever weird stuff there was. I loved that stuff. I would just sit there, and I loved it. And I, and I just watched it. It was fun. It was entertaining. But, you know, over the years, I learned that if you just sit there and dull, dull your mind by just sucking in all this stuff without even evaluating it, soberly, with my mind alert and seeing what kind of images, ideas, things, and not even interacting with them. I was dulling my mind. It was like a drug. Um, and so what I mean is that, that we are not controlling, interacting with, or examining the ideas and concepts that, we, that are coming into our brains when we entertain ourselves with Whatever it is, whatever we're watching, whether it's YouTube or movies or we're listening to the podcasts or reading novels or whatever it is, any kind of source that comes into our head, if the danger is that when we do these things only to be entertained without engaging our hearts and minds as followers of Christ, then our minds become dulled and we become callous to the things and ideas that are exactly against what Christ has freed us from. And we are just accepting it, and we're getting used to these things. As Peter writes here, we are to be fully sober. We're to be alert. We're to weigh the matters that come. You know, for example, you know, if we just accept these things in our minds, we're like, yeah, yeah, if I like him or her, yeah, we can be sexually intimate. It's fine. It's no problem. Or, you know, like, yeah, if I take stuff from the motel or my office or whatever, the school, and just bring it home, they'll never notice. It's not a big deal. You know, it's, it's just these things that wear us down and it just make it callous. Like, yeah, it's okay. You know, it's no problem because we are barraged with it. We become dull and we just aren't sensitive to it anymore. We are not to accept them without considering them first in light of the truth of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying we watch these things or do that, but we need to be sober. We need to weigh what we're seeing, interact with them. That's not good. That's all right. You know, that's funny. Well, that's not funny, you know, that kind of stuff. The third characteristic of becoming holy is to set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Now, notice the future tense here, right there, to be brought to you, to be brought to you. The point is that we have been saved by God's grace. We are now citizens of God's kingdom, so therefore we are foreigners. We're not, we don't belong here. We're not Americans first. We are Christians first. We're not, you know, whatever we are in the sense our identity is tied to this earth, that's part of what has made us, but ultimately our Heavenly Father made us. And now we are in Christ revealed to be citizens of 
the kingdom of God. And when Jesus Christ is revealed and he returns, then we will be given new resurrected bodies and we will be in our heavenly home forever with him. And that is our home, not here. Just like the hope I had of going home in Ecuador when I was miserable and I was like, oh, at least this has an end. I can go back to where I'm comfortable. It's the same way for us as Christians is when we're miserable, when we're like hopeless, it feels, we can have hope and set our hope in Christ when he is revealed and know that this is just temporary and I have a hope that is in the much better that will come for me. And to persevere through this evil and suffering and injustice of this world. You know, Claire Booth Luce, who um, is an American writer, she was a politician, she was even a U.S. ambassador uh, earlier, early in the 19th century, or the, yeah, the 20th century. She said this, I, I like this quote, there are no hopeless situations, there are only people who have grown hopeless about them. And this applies to us as followers of Jesus. Is we have to evaluate, where's our hope? If we start to feel hopeless about life, then our hope is not in the Lord God and what is ahead for us. We haven't set our hope in what the grace that will be revealed in Christ Jesus when he, he returns for us. So to live in this world as foreigners, to be separate from the world, unlike the world, then we become holy, and secondly, then we see that we live in awe of God. Now, 1 Peter 1.17 speaks of this, saying, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. So does this mean that we're afraid that God's going to zap us once we do something wrong? No. No, that's not what reverent fear means. Because that doesn't represent God. No, it is not at all. It's reverent fear means we have a deep respect for God's power, for God and who he is as a being as he is revealed in Scripture. And he's not a God about zapping you once you make a mistake because we'd all be dead <laughs> right now. We'd all be critters if that was the case. But no, it's not at all. It's, this means that we are to live our lives in awe of who God is and the love that he has revealed to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Awe is a wonderful thing because it elicits in us a wonder, a humility, and obedience in respect of who God is. When I look up into the sky at night and I see the stars and I think of how infinite the universe is, because we study you know, the, the stars, the universe, and all that, what we see is only a very small speck of the entire universe. Because we can only see our galaxy, basically, with our eyes. And even with telescopes, it's, we can't see everything. And it's just amazing to think how infinite this creation is, the universe. And then on Earth, there's so many beautiful spots that I would love to go see before I die. But I know it's impossible. But just to, when we look at something beautiful, it, it elicits in us an awe of our creator. For example, beautiful sunset on the ocean. These are just a few places on the earth that we can go see. I'm sure you guys have been to different places that have just made you just feel like, wow, this is so amazing. Maybe it's the breadth of what we, how far we can see or the beauty of some animal that's so colorful. Have you, have you ever watched those earth Earth movies or whatever the things where the, those birds that are trying to catch their mate and they're dancing these weird little dances and stuff. It's just so amazing that how intricate 
and beautiful God's creation is. It leads us to awe of our creator. Peter reminds us of three facts then that help us to live in this awe of the Lord God and who he is and what he has done for us. And he just spells them out starting in verse 18. First here we see, for you know that it was not with perishable things that, such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. See, we were in this state of bondage and slavery to sin and then Christ redeemed us, but he redeemed us not with gold or silver. And so this image would have come up in the reader's of the Christians in Asia Minor when they heard this, of redemption in their minds would have been someone paying with gold or silver to redeem a slave and give them freedom. And that's the image here. They let us set us slave go free. Redeemed means to purchase and pay a ransom for freedom. And then the second fact we see continues on here with the price of redemption. Verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Our redemption was not bought with silver or gold, which is perishable. It goes away, but it was with the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is imperishable. It does not, it covers all time. And it was not bought with something of the world. It was bought with something that is divine. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Peter is referring to here this Old Testament imagery of different things that happened to, for the Jews that point to Jesus. One is the Passover meal that I just mentioned before where they sacrificed the lamb, put the blood on the doorposts, which then the angel death passed over them. So they, they were spared being killed, or the firstborn of their families being put to death. And so the, the death passed over their families because of the blood that was shed. And that's an image of Christ fulfilling that, being the Passover Lamb in that sense, the blameless lamb who was killed so that we can be ransomed from our sins. And this is the price of the salvation of the world, the redemption of the world. And now all our sins and rebellion has been transferred, which is another image in the Old Testament on Yom Kippur. The sins are transferred to a, a goat or lamb, and then it's carried away. Yeah, so Titus 2 talks about this as well. Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And then the third fact uh, for being in awe of the Lord God, you're very welcome, just find a seat. Um, then we see in verse 20, uh, verses 20 and 21, and that in the sense that when we put our faith in Jesus, we're putting our faith and hope in God. And look at those verses. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. In other words, hang in there. The same God that allowed his son to suffer is going to allow you to suffer. But have hope, because it's the same God who raised Jesus to life. He is also going to raise you to life. So you can set your hope in that grace that we look forward to. We were redeemed, and the price was the life of the Lord Jesus. And because he was raised from the dead, then we too can look forward to being raised from the dead and living eternally with bodies that will never die. And we will be in a world that is not full of sin and evil and justice and racism and all those things that are just so horrible that so many people in our lives and ourselves experience. So remember these truths and live in awe of God. 
So become holy, live in awe of God as foreigners here on this world. And when we do so, we are not like the world when we do these things. But the last thing that's mentioned in our text is love one another deeply. And so we see this in verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. So first, Peter states the ideal here, that we have been purified in Christ Jesus by obeying his truth. In the sense, the truth is the gospel and the promises that uh, he makes and all the demands of that gospel for us to follow him. And we don't simply intellectually agree with this message, but we live it, we do it. We obey it. So it's like the Great Commission, right? We teach them to obey everything Christ has taught us. And Peter uses this perfect tense of this verb for half purified, which would be more descriptively if we translated that half purified and continue to be pure or continue to purify yourselves by obeying the truth. This means that we believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. We are purified by his sacrifice on the cross. But also, we continue to obey Christ's commands, which is a step of faith. Every time you obey God, you are experiencing God's truth personally because you're trusting in him another step of your life. And then the Spirit of God is communing with you, enabling you to do what is right. And it's this growing experience with God and this purification process that continues to happen. In us. The result of our purification we see here is that we have sincere love for each other by the grace of God. Now that's the truth, the ideal for God's church that Peter just states, right? Since you have sincere love for each other. But then Peter commands the followers of Jesus to do it, right? We're here. This is the command. Love one another deeply from the heart. Now this Bible speaks over and over again about the importance of God's people to love one another, but oh, how do we struggle to do this? We struggle, we fail often at this. And Peter stresses it even more so by saying love one another deeply from the heart, deeply to emphasize this command. Well, deeply means things that are not lightly, right? It's not light, it's not like, whatever, no, Deeply, it's passionate, it's zealousness here. Love one another deeply. Can, you, can we say that, with, that we love others deeply? In the name of Jesus, our Lord, because he has loved us deeply. Can we say that? It goes beyond just being friendly. It implies an effort and intentionality. It, it implies that we are going to make a decision to do so. It's not because it's just convenient for us. Yeah, we go the extra mile to love others in the name of Jesus. There's a story to illustrate this uh, from 1973, September 12th, as reported in the New York Times at that time. It was a six-foot, 200-pound teenager, all right? He's just a high school student. And he lifted a 3,000-pound tractor with his bare hands. He wasn't a weightlifter. No, he's just a normal, big teenager. But his friend, Lloyd Bichelder, was pinned underneath this tipped-over tractor. And so he heard Lloyd's screams, and he ran over there, and he grabbed the tractor, and in all his strength, somehow, he was able to lift the tractor up a little bit so that Lloyd could wiggle out from underneath the tractor. His motivation was the love he had for Lloyd, his friend. And in the same way, 
like this teenage boy, we are to love one another deeply. Go the extra mile. Be extraordinary. And we can only do that because of the extraordinary love that God has instilled in us through Jesus Christ and his effort for us. This is loving deeply. Our love for one another is not of this world. It is of God. It is eternal, and it is holy in that sense. It is unusual. It is separate from how the, Lord, uh, the world loves. And the rest of the verses of our chapter emphasize this. Actually, like, it's imperishable. It's eternal. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like flowers of the field, and the grass withers, and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever, and this is the word that was preached to you. God's word, through his word, people have now the knowledge and an opportunity to know Christ Jesus, what he has done, who he is, what he has accomplished for us once and for all. And we can place our faith in him. And then through this new life, this new citizenship, love flows through us to others. And that's what makes us holy and how we become holy because then we are not like the world. We don't love like the world does in a sense what I get out of it. Right? No, we become different. But people will notice our differences then. People will misunderstand us as followers of Jesus. They will, we may be seen as odd, and we may be picked on and persecuted because we are different from the world. But our hope is not in this world, is it? Our hope is in what lasts forever. That is the kingdom of God and in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because this world has things that do not last. Our careers, they won't last. Our health, it's not going to last. Our looks, our good looks, they're not going to last. Uh, no matter how many operations we have. <laughs> you know, it's just nothing's going to last, but in God's kingdom lasts. But in this world, we are exiles. We're foreigners. We're not, this is not our home. We're just passing through. But yet, the best is yet to come. And is that where we fix our eyes? Is what is to come? Or are we so gripped with what is here and now? that we lose, our minds are dull, we're not alert. Let's pray together. Father, we are so easily distracted. We turn our eyes away from the truths and hope that you have given us in Christ Jesus our Lord. We thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for your forgiveness of our rebellion and our sinfulness, our wayward ways. And we pray that your spirit who indwells us by faith in Jesus and as your people here as Cornerstone, we would not be like the world. We would no longer conform to, their evil, to the evil desires we once held. That we would be alert and be able to identify when those desires rise up within us. That we would no longer participate in injustice, that we would evaluate our hearts and minds for any partiality toward people based on income or education or color of skin, but Lord, that we would love as you love and be your church and your body on earth as you have called us to be and for your glory's sake.
In Jesus' name we pray, amen.